This is a free download from Delancey Elim Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elim Church building at La Banks St. Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us to find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. looking at, I thought a few weeks ago really, about uh, powerful living, and it's all based on Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Uh, I said, I think I said a few weeks ago that someone once said about the book of Ephesians, it says a letter from Paul on how to transform the world. So if we would get some of the principles that's here in the book of Ephesians, those principles would transform the world, and they're awesome. That's how powerful this kind of book is, and it's really based on this book, uh, I remember seeing this book, Sit, Walk, Stand, Watchman Nee. How many have ever heard of that? How many would like that, a book? How many would like that? Okay. That's it, yeah. Okay, there you go. See, first comment. Uh, and it's based on the book of Ephesians, and it's three words. He sums up, basically, the, the book of Ephesians is summed up, really, in three words. Sit, walk, Stand. Now, in our mind, I think I showed before, we kind of, our minds, we kind of think that that's opposite, that we, we don't start off sitting, we start off walking or standing. But it begins with us, it begins sitting, walking, and standing. As I said, the, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about sitting. They're all about being established of who you are in Christ. Or put it this way, it's about being deeply rooted in relationship with Christ. I remember years ago, when I was at Bible college, how I got this, how I got to do this, I do not know, but I remember this, me and this other guy, for some reason, they planted trees somewhere, and I can't remember all the ins and outs, but for some reason, we had to dig up the trees and replant them somewhere else. I remember doing that. So they hadn't been planted very long, but we had to redig them up. I remember that. And I remember, it seems, it, these trees looked very skinny. I thought, well, that won't take very long. But as we began to dig, they hadn't been there that long, and the roots, how deep those roots had gone, how long it took us to kind of root, root those things. And really what, what, what we're talking about today, about being seated, is learning to be so rooted and established in who we are in Christ that nothing's going to pull us out. Because if we're not rooted and established in who we are in Christ, then we're going to be easily removed and, and knocked around and, 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 and we're going to be ineffective. And it's learning to be rooted. See, there's a difference between preference and conviction. Who thought about that? Often, sometimes we can, we can follow things because it's a preference rather than because it's a conviction. If it's a, if it's, if it's a preference, well, well, it'll be easily removed from us. For example, if God loving me is just a preference, but the moment something happens to make me question that, then it's just a preference rather than the conviction. When something is a conviction in your heart, nothing in the world will remove it. No matter what's going on in your life, the conviction is God loves me no matter what happens. I've got a conviction that God is good no matter what happens. And nothing will disturb, nothing will rob me, nothing will remove that truth out of me because I'm rooted and grounded in the fact that I'm loved by God. It's a conviction, not a preference. I'm rooted and established in the fact that God is good and God's good all the time. It doesn't mean that everything happens is good, but I'm convinced and established and rooted in the fact that God is good no matter what. Amen? 
And so it's those things that, that we're talking about. Being seated means being established and rooted in who I am in Christ and who God is. And I'm rooted in that. I'm established in that. And nothing can rob me from that. Can you see that? That's the first thing. I'm, I'm, I'm seated in who Christ is. I'm rooted in that. Then out of the seating comes the walking. In other words, you walk out where you are seated. I found this, that we walk out whatever we're trusting in. That's, that's what we walk out from. For example, if I'm trusting in my own resources, then that means I'm going to walk in insecurity. I'm going to walk in fear. If I'm kind of trusting in those things, whatever I trust in will affect what I walk in. And walking really is a practical outworking of your heavenly position. In other words, the, what, is, what, what the truth is that's inside my heart, I begin to work it out in a, in a practical way. I said before, the book of Ephesians is all about having good marriages, amen? It's all about having good families. It's all about being good employers and employees. So basically, the truth of who I am in Christ is worked out in a practical way. How I work my life out. In other words, that what, what takes place in heaven in my life is worked out here on earth. And so heaven atmospheres affect the workplace, my home life, wherever I am. It's all affected by who I am in Christ. It's worked out in a practical way. So I begin to walk it out. I think I shared a powerful, a powerful kind of statement last, a few weeks ago. Uh, and it's by a guy called uh, Brendan Matthews. How many of you of Brendan Matthews? Okay, I did mention, not Bernard Matthews, Brendan Matthews. He wrote something called the, the, the Rug Muffin Gospel. That's a cool book, and the Rug Muffin Gospel, that's an interesting book. And he said this, he said, the greatest single cause for atheism in the world today. I thought about that. What is, the, what is the, the major cause for atheism in the world today? This is what he said. He said, it's a Christian who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. Isn't that powerful? Uh, and that's what we say. It's all about working. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever is inside us, whatever is working inside us, always has an ability to work outside of us. So all those things we looked at before stand, uh, if you like, sitting and walking. And I want to look at today on standing. Ephesians 6, verse 10. That's one of this whole concept of standing. What I would say is this, until we learn to sit, they will never really learn to stand. We'll never, we'll never stand unless we first learn to sit. Ephesians 6.10, sorry, verse 11. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's saying, stand in battle, standing in the middle of opposition. It says in Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And, and, and it says there that that word power means that you may be powerfully capable so you, you can stay, take your stand against the enemy's schemes. Now, the word power there is the word kratos. And that word kratos basically means uh, 
ruling power. In other words, a ruling power that causes you to be stable within. Stability within. I think one thing we need to realise, that the power that God wants to give us is a power within us to stabilise us. A ruling power, that's what it means, ruling power. That's a powerful truth. It's having a consciousness of the power that's inside me. Not just in our heads, but deep in our hearts is that revelation, a God-conscious awareness of who's inside me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And it's having that knowledge, that revelation, the reality of that, that the one who's in me is greater than one outside. And I live with a conscious awareness of who's in me. And that stabilizes me. When circumstances come contrary to me, when things attack my life, I'm stable because I have a ruling power at work within me. And I know the one that's in me is greater than what's outside of me. And that stabilizes me against all the outside influences of my life. Can you say amen? That stabilizing power. That's what stabilizes me within. And we need that conscious awareness of that ruling power within us. I love it. That stabilizes you. We need to constantly remind ourselves. And it says there that, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the wiles there basically are the, are the plans, are the strategies of the enemy. You know the enemy knows all, he reckon, he sees you, he, he knows your weaknesses, he, he knows how to push the right buttons. How many realize that? How many have known that? He, he knows what things get you. You know, he's not going to come and say, by the way, he's not going to come to Nigel, I'm going to use this one, and say, Nigel, I think you want to rob a bank. Because I don't think that would be a temptation to him. How many would think that? I don't know, but I don't think he would be. And so the enemy knows what buttons to push. He can actually, he knows what things are kind of cause you to rise up, what things get to you. What things someone can say to you that kind of really gets on your skin. How many realize that? And so he comes at you against the wiles of the enemy. He comes at you with lies and, and bluffs and accusations and suggestions. And so Paul says that you need to be established in your relationship with Jesus, know who you are, know who he is, walk consistently with him, and when opposition comes, refuse to pull back. Begin to stand firm and not pull back. And really the first point in all this is this. We are in a battle. We are in a battle. We need to really be aware of that. We are absolutely in a battle. There's a conflict between the forces of darkness and the forces of life. We are in a battle. And that's what this last chapter of Ephesians is all about. It's about a battle. That every single believer, like it or not, is in a conflict, is in a battle. We are in a battle. We have an enemy who, guess what, doesn't like you very much. <laughs> he really doesn't like you, I'm sorry to say. He never has and he never will. He hates you. And so he wants to come and attack your life. Look at John 16, verse 33. These are the words of Jesus in John 16, 33. He says, these things I speak to you, that you may have peace. I'm glad about that. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now, trouble doesn't mean your washing machine falling apart. Everyone <laughs> that day when everything seems to 
Stop. I read that experience. Sometimes life just does things against us. But what trouble means here, it means it's talking about a spiritual attack. And the word trouble means opposition or pressure. You see, the Holy Spirit prompts you. He never pressurizes you. What the demonic powers do, they put pressure on you. They seek to to pressurize you. They seek to, to come against you with opposition and pressurize you. And the goal is to shut you down and make you ineffective and to make you powerless. I just love this thought. I don't think we've ever grasped it very true, but you know what? The enemy is scared of you. Do you realize that? We sometimes think we're scared of the enemy, but the truth is the enemy is scared of you. He's scared of what happens when you really get it. He really is. Because the Bible says you're the light of the world. In other words, God has got no plan B. He's not saying, if this is, I've got another plan. The Bible says that you are the light of the world. God's got no other plan but you. You are the light of the world. You are the one that begins to put, to begins to release the power of the gospel. And what the enemy wants to do is if he can shut down the saints, he can stop the kingdom of light. And what he wants to do, he wants to intimidate the people of God. Last week, we had a powerful prophetic word. It kind of struck with me, really. And he's saying how easy the believers, and he's talking about those believers were lions. Isn't that awesome? You're a lion. You know what happens? What the enemy does, he wants to so intimidate us, and I think he's been very effective in many ways, is that you lose your rule. You know, I feel the church as a whole, not us, but the church as a whole, has lost its rule. That ability to, we've been so intimidated by the things around us, we've lost that ability to rule. And that was a powerful word, that the, the body of Christ has lost its rule. And I believe God wants the church to get its rule back, amen? We learn to get our rule back. Because of intimidation and the pressures of the enemy, sometimes people pull back. They pull back from what God had for them. They pull back from pursuing the things of God. They pull, they pull back in all kinds of things because of intimidation, because of pressure, because of opposition. They pull back. Get into a place of comfortability and, and they, they just pull back from what God has for them. Because of the opposition, because of, of the pressure, because of the things that have rose up against them. There's this sense we just kind of pull back. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to pull back. But Paul says, don't pull back, but learn to what? Stand. Jesus says that in this world you will have trouble. Not, by the way, you might have it. Wouldn't that be nice? But he says, you will have trouble. Have you noticed that when you have a breakthrough, sometimes you have a, a pushback? And Jesus says, be of good cheer. And that word cheer means be, have undaunted boldness. Don't back down. Absolutely recognize. Jesus says, I've overcome, which means I reign in absolute authority. It's done. My victory is complete and you can't add to it. I just want to get a hold of that today. Of the totality of the victory of Jesus. Jesus on the cross cried out, It is what? Finished. Completed. Done with. Completely won. Once and for all. And the, when Jesus said it is finished, it's the Greek word teleos. And that word is powerful. I'll tell you why it's powerful. It was a word that gladiators was used in the ring. 
And what gladiators would do, they would fight. You know, they have to fight to the death. Sounds a good life, but they fought to the death. And when they killed their opponents, they would stand really basically on the body of their opponent. They'd lift up their sword to heaven and cry, Talios, it is finished. It is complete. Total victory. And that's what Jesus was saying. The victory has been absolutely totally. Nothing has been left undone. It is finished. It is complete. It is undisputed victory. And the devil is so enraged because what he stole from Adam, Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam, has actually won back. Everything that Adam lost, Jesus came and restored everything back by his victory. For this reason, Christ was revealed that he might destroy all the works of the devil. Undisputed, complete, total victory. Oh, that we'd get a revelation of the total, complete victory of Jesus. Can you say amen? Here's the second thing. The posture we have one posture to take, and that's the posture to stand. The court to stand. You think about it. When an enemy marches, it marches to gain ground. When an enemy stands, it stands on the ground. It's already won. You see that? And we're called not to march, we're called to stand. Why is that? All we're called to do is to enforce the victory that Jesus has already won. We don't win the victory, he's already won it. All we're called to do is to enforce the victory he's already won. Just to stand on the ground that Jesus has already won for us. We're just standing in the victory that Jesus has already won. I just want you to get a hold of that. We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. That's an important thing we get. Because sometimes we're trying to get the victory, but the truth is the victory's already been won. It's already done. It's finished. It's complete. And what the enemy wants you to do, he wants you to be fighting for something that you already have. Isn't that raising? He wants you to fight for victory and fight for something that you already have. And I, I just want to get a revelation that Jesus has won the victory. All I'm called to do is to enforce that victory. One of the things, we may touch on in a moment, but they're told, Paul says, put on, the, the feet, put on your feet the gospel of peace. And he's talking about, he's not talking about flip-flops. He's not talking about what you wear on the beach. He's talking about Roman military sandals. And those Roman military sandals had spikes underneath them. And the reason why they had spikes under, underneath them, so they would be able to stand. Because they know this, that if a soldier ever fell over in battle, he was finished and done with. So he had to learn to stand, and the spikes would enable him to stand on the ground. So no matter what came against him, he was strong and sturdy and nothing could move him. And the Bible says we need to stand with confidence and assurance that Jesus has totally won the victory. There is nothing that you and I face that Jesus has not already faced and defeated. Is that true? He's defeated sin. He's defeated sickness. He's defeated every single thing that will come against us. 
All we need to do is get a revelation of the total victory that Jesus has won. And when you realize, see, everything you reign over comes from a revelation that Jesus already had defeated it. And the more you realize that, the more you're going to live in a place of victory. You're going to live in a place of, 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 of living out your life for God. We stand in the victory. And here's what we do. We position ourselves for victory. You know, often we don't position ourselves for victory. We position ourselves for defeat. But we're called to position ourselves for victory. How do you position yourself for victory? So I tell you, do it. Now, when we say things like sort of, oh, I'm never going to overcome this. I'm never going to rise above this. My circumstances are never going to change. This problem is too big. It's going to never be dealt with. This problem is too overwhelming. It's never going to be removed. It's never going to be dealt with. Every time we say things like that, so I tell you what we're doing, we're preparing ourselves for defeat rather than preparing ourselves for victory. And it's learning to say, Jesus has won the victory, so I'm preparing myself for the victories won. I do that by saying, God, thank you that you're faithful today. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. And I begin to prepare myself for victory. God, you're always faithful. You're never going to let me down. And whatever comes against you, you point yourself towards victory. How many love that? I wrote this down. Someone said this, and it's so powerful. He says, why borrow trouble when you've inherited victory? And I love that. I love that. Why borrow trouble when you've inherited victory? And the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit, notice this, he's not a doer, he's a helper. We, he comes to help us. There's always something we will have to do. He'll give you the words, but often you have to speak them. He will, he will give you the resources, but you've got to use the resources. There'll always be, Bible says, we're co-laborers together with Christ. There'll always be our part and God's part. And it's, God will say, this is what I can do. All I'm asking you to do is to agree with what I can do. He just wants your agreement. And so we learn to come into agreement with him. It's a lovely picture, actually. I love this picture. It's a, it's a, story, it's a picture. Of, 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 it's got King Herod comforts his troops. That's what the title is. Of it. And what he's done, he's got this sword. And he's kind of sticking it up the rear of his troops. And it says, King Herod comforts his troops. I mean, we think that doesn't sound very comfortable. Because the word comfort isn't, just, isn't a word that means to soothe. Often it means to stir up and to move into battle. With the assured victory that we have in Christ. He says, I'm the shepherd, but you need to follow me. And so we need to have a revelation of the total victory of Jesus. Recognizing his victory. You know what the world teaches you? It teaches you how to cope with your problems. Have you seen some of those books they tell, tell you how to cope with your problems? And it's interesting. You know, the, is it the the, the, the dumb book and how to deal with this all. It, it, everything, information the world gives you is how you cope with your problems. You know what the Bible teaches you? How to overcome your problems. Not to cope with them, not just to live with them, but it teaches you how to overcome them. That's what it's about. The victory of Jesus has been given not to just cause us to cope with things in life, but to teach us how to get victory over them. Stand therefore in the might 
and the power of God. The might and the power of God. I don't know, and this is again the most ridiculous picture. You know, I see a picture of the word standing. Ever seen those the, years ago, the old cowboy films? Remember the old cowboy films? Remember those films? And you've got two guys, and they both draw. Who's the victor? The one that's left, what? Standing. And that's true of us. The truth is, no matter what comes against us, we're left standing. Because we are in a place of victory. Know that in the victory of Jesus, you will always be left standing. And only those who learn to sit can learn to stand. There's the next thing, very quickly. We are fully protected. Look at Ephesians 6. Verse 13 to 14. Therefore take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand. Here's this other this picture that we are fully protected. Isn't that awesome? Fully protected. Stand in the armour of God. Now with the armour you keep it on day. It's day and night wear. Okay? You've got a bed in your armour. It may seem uncomfortable, but I, I, recommend, I recommend very much that you wear your armour in bed. Everybody knows that sometimes that's the most vulnerable time the enemy attacks you. So why would you take it off at night? I mean, that makes no sense whatsoever. You keep the armour on. You don't take the armour off. You keep the armour on. It says, make sure that you are fully protected, that you put on the armour of God. And you notice all those pieces of the armour, they cover places of vulnerability. All the areas where we're vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy, there's armour that, that, that protects us. And you'll notice this, needing all the weapons of our warfare, they're all defensive. Most of them are defensive. Right? Because Jesus' work was offensive, our work is defensive. And here's the incredible thing, I like this, that the armour of God is the same armour that Jesus wore 2,000 years ago. And you, when you wear the armour of God, you know what? The devil makes, can't see any difference between you and Jesus when you're fully covered in the armour. Have you ever seen, I'm talking about films today, but have you ever seen the Batman films? That when he's got that Batman suit on, usually it's some skinny guy, but when he puts that Batman suit on, he seems muscular and strong and powerful, and you don't know who he is. Yeah, it's usually some wimp, but when he puts the Batman suit on, he's some awesome-looking muscular guy. I must get a suit with that. But the point is, is uh, uh, and that's like with God. That it's the it's not our armor; it's the armor of what God. It's the same armor that Jesus used to defeat the devil, and it's the same armor that you have. It's the armor of God, and when you put that armor on and you keep that armor on, the devil trembles by the armor that you have. It's interesting, there's seven pieces of armour. Five are parts of that, but when you include prayer, when you include the sword of the spirit, there's seven pieces of armour which speaks of perfection and completeness. The armour of God is perfect and complete, and when we put it on, we will not be defeated. Can you say amen? There's the first one. It says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Put that helmet over you. Let me know that the greatest battle of all is your mind. Let me know that. The thing the enemy attacks more than anything else is your mind. How many are glad there's some protection for your mind? Put on the, 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 the helmet of salvation. In other words, 
that we allow it, we, we stop allowing our mind to, to be distracted and cluttered with all kinds of doubts and fears and torments. And we come to a, a place where our mind is centered on things above. The Bible says that renew your mind. What does that mean? It means that I begin to see my life, not through my pressures, not through my difficulties, not through my own natural thinking. I begin to see my life through heaven's perspective. I begin to think the way he thinks about my situation. I begin to see it from his perspective, from his way of thinking. That's what it means to change the way you think, to renew your thinking. One thing I've learned, true revelation, that you and I are in charge of our thoughts. Our thoughts are not up for grab. It's removing the thoughts that, that make us feel worthless, thoughts that devalue us, thoughts that make us, make us see God less than what he hears. The Bible says, allow your mind to be set on the things that are above. We've got to learn to set our minds. When all the doubts come, when all the fears come, we've got to kind of remove a lot of stuff and learn to set our minds on things that are above. That word set there speaks about how a horse is controlled and guided. That's what it means. As a horse is guided and controlled, we need to learn to allow our minds to be set and focused on the things above. And the enemy will always use all kinds of things to distract your mind, to take your mind off looking at things above. So you begin to look at your feelings. You begin to look at your circumstances. You begin to look at things around you. You begin to look at natural things. And the moment you do that, you're defeated. Notice what he says. He says, put on the, the helmet of salvation. And that word salvation there is the word sozo. It doesn't mean just forgiveness of sins. It means protection. It means provision. It means soundness of mind. It means wholeness. And he says, set your mind on your salvation. What God has done for you in Christ. Set your mind on that. It's interesting. I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5. It speaks about this. The helmet of salvation of hope. Salvation of hope. I love that phrase there, the salvation of hope. 1 Thessalonians 5 speaks about the helmet of salvation of hope. Hope means the expectation of something good happening. That's what it means. To have a constant expectation of something good happening. And Paul says, that's what protects your mind. There's an expectation that something good is going to happen. Something good is going to happen to bring wholeness into your life. Something good is going to happen to bring protection. David said, I'd have fainted if I didn't believe I'd see, see the goodness of God. And that's what it means. It's, it's expectation of the goodness of God. And Paul says you've got to put the helmet on. Have a continual expectation of God's goodness to work on your behalf. And the moment you lose sight of that, then the enemy is going to flood all kinds of doubts and fears and torments into your mind. And Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. It's not just something temporary, but just put on, have an expect, a constant expectation of something good. Next thing we're told, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. The heart speaks of who you are, and it's covered with this, with this breastplate of righteousness. Ever thought what can happen to your heart? Your heart can get hard. Your heart can get broken. 
Your heart can distance itself from people because you don't want to get hurt again. Our hearts can get stuck in the past. But the thing that really protects your heart from being hard, the thing that protects your heart from being broken, the thing that protects your heart from becoming distant, is to know your righteousness. To know who you are in God. To know your righteousness. Because one of the things that seems to me that can harden people's hearts, the one thing that can distance people and cause hearts to be broken, is when we allow our hearts to come into a place of accusation. When we allow guilt to impact our hearts. When we allow the the lies of the enemy to kind of attack us. That our hearts begin damaged by that. And the only way you can deal with it is to know that through Christ, you have been made righteous. His righteousness. Some people say, well, isn't that an excuse just to sin? No, the truth is, the more you see how righteous you are, the less you'll sin. Isn't that amazing? The more I see how righteous I am, the more I'm liable to live a righteous life. Is that true? The more I see it. If I never see it, never grasp it then I'm never going to come into that place of righteousness. Because when you're righteous, you know what you think to yourself, you know what, if I'm righteous, how can I do that? How can I do that when I'm righteous? How can I say those things if I'm the righteousness of God? How can I have that attitude if I'm the, I'm the righteousness of God? How can I respond to that person in that way if I'm the righteousness of God? The more I see it, the more I begin to live in the truth and the reality of that. Let me give you a great verse. It's in Isaiah. Isaiah 54, 17 says, In in righteousness you shall be established. You will be far from oppression. They're powerful. Why do people live under oppression at times? Why are people under oppression and, and fear, anxiety, all these things? Why... It's that oppression over so many lives. The Bible says that Jesus came to heal all who were, who were oppressed of the devil. Is that true? And part of what Jesus does, he lifts that oppression by you having a revelation on the righteousness of God. That time and time again will just lift that oppression off your life. It will break its grip. It will break its power. Because right in the depth of your, your heart is covered by a breastplate. There is the righteousness, not your righteousness, but an imputed righteousness that has come through Jesus himself. You have the righteousness of Jesus. Isn't that powerful? His righteousness has been given to you, not as something you've earned, not just as something you've, 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 you've deserved, but his righteousness. Isn't that awesome? And you want to say that I'm the right, you know, I am the righteousness of God. Powerful. And the more I realize it, the more I recognize it, my life's going to be transformed. All the guilt goes, all the condemnation goes, all the accusations lifts. But as you live in that reality, you're the righteousness of God. Can you say amen? Next piece of armor is this. It speaks powerfully about the belt of truth. Have your loins. I think one translation says that the loins guarded. And the word loins there speaks of, of a place of intimacy. Let me just say this. One of the powerful things that we need to learn, and I think... How many know that we're living in a world that's flooded with all kinds of impurity all around us? How many know it's just impurity flooding us all over the place? And Paul says that we need to protect ourselves. We need to walk in 
purity. In other words, be careful of what you watch, of what you read. Because those things can begin to pollute our hearts, can begin to pollute our lives. And he says, put on the belt of truth. I think most of our struggles, most of our bondages, most of our limitations, most of our pain, most of our turmoil comes as a result. At some point, we receive a lie into our souls. And we need to cleanse us our lives, our souls, out of all the lies that the enemy so often has poured into our lives. That's a powerful truth. David says, God, grant me truth in the inward parts. He says, your word brings light. And we need the light of God's truth to so impact our souls that it begins to drive out of us. All the lies that the enemy has sought to establish in our life. God says, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And that word wicked means twisted. Same word for wicker basket. Something that's twisted. In other words, what the enemy comes to do, he comes to bring twisted things into our life. He says, is there anything that got twisted in me along the way? The way I perceive myself. The way I see God. Is some way, as a lie of the enemy came in, come in and twisted a perception, a, a lie into my life. That's powerful. So I think the only way you ever deal with a lie, how do you deal with a lie? Is by knowing the truth. If I never know the truth, then I never expose the lie. And a lot of people live with all kinds of lies the enemy's sown in their life told you how worthless you are, how useless you are, how no good you are. Constantly reminded you of your past, of your failures. And we live under the power of that lie. And it affects every part of our life because the lie some way got into our hearts. And David says, God, don't let there be any twisted way in me. Don't let any lie damage me or affect my life. But Lord, cause your truth to get inside me. And you know, everything the devil says to you is a lie. Everybody realize that? Because there's no truth in him. He's the father of lies. He's the originator that wants to sow a lie into your life. And Paul says, gird up your waist, gird up your lines with, with, with your belt of truth. You know one thing about the belt? It holds everything together. Isn't that true, men? <laughs> everything is held up by your belt. In fact, the first part of an armor that a Roman soldier would put on would be his belt. Because everything was connected to the belt. And I think everything's connected to truth. The moment we, we lose sight of truth, everything else is, is, is affected and distorted. And I found this as, a, as an interesting thing. Facts are not as powerful as truth. A lot of us live under facts that it's not necessarily truth. It can be a fact. A fact could be that maybe this, let me just say, there's some fact. Maybe a fact that you, you've got limited resources. That that's a fact in your life. You're going through a financial hard time, and that's a fact. But the truth is, he's able to meet all your needs according to his riches in heaven. And here's the problem. We tend to believe the facts, which are true, there are facts, but truth supersedes facts. Super, truth overwhelms is greater than a fact. You could get a horrible phone call today. Trust you won't, but you could. And that's a fact, but truth always supersedes the fact. 
Often we believe what is fact and just say what's fact, what can change it. But truth always supersedes. What is truth is on the truth. His word is truth. And we've got to cover the whole of our lives. We've got to put on the belt of truth. Then finally, let me just close very quickly with it. You see, it speaks about the feet of the gospel of peace. Always be ready to take the good news. In other words, pray, Lord, put me at the right place at the right time to share the good news. Isn't that awesome? And notice this, it's a gospel of peace. The devil wants to disturb your mind with trouble. He wants to agitate your emotions. But peace is the key. The moment you lose your peace, you are vulnerable to the enemy. I think peace is something that the devil can't handle. He can't handle a Christian's peace. Supernatural peace. Jesus says, I'll leave you with a peace that the world can't understand. I think peace is such a powerful weapon against the enemy. The peace. And the gospel brings peace. Before the gospel entered your life, you were disturbed and affected and and in torment and turmoil. But the moment the gospel of peace floods your heart, changes the way you think, it brings your heart to a place of stability and harmony. And we're glad for the peace of God. That's a wonderful weapon. The enemy will do all he can to disrupt your peace. The peace. The peace of God. The peace. Then two last things. He says, therefore, take the shield of faith. What's the shield of faith? It's simply believing what God has said. And the shield it refers to there is not the Captain America shield, it's the kind of little shield. But the shield of the Roman soldier covered his whole body. It's believing what God has said. I'm seeing more and more that God wants to bring his people into a complete place of trust, a complete place of belief. The more and more you read the Gospels, you see the purpose of what Jesus did. His goal was always to bring the disciples into a greater place of trust and belief. He said, I'm doing this so you'll believe. Everything he did was to bring his disciples into a greater level of trust and belief. And what God wants to do in our life, he wants to bring us into a point where we really believe the promises of God. I'd encourage you to begin to get hold of the promises of God and begin to believe his promises. Believe what he said. The Bible says that we use that shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. He sends discouragement. He sends all kinds of things to dishearten us, to make us draw back. I think just one simple verse. To know this, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Just that verse alone, just that one verse, is enough to protect you. It's enough to kind of quench the fiery darts of the evil one. So the shield of faith is when you truly believe what God has said. If you don't believe what God has said, then you've got no shield. You've got no shield. And you're vulnerable to all the darts of the enemy. Is that true? He can fire all the fiery darts. Notice it's a fiery dart. That means it's an arrow that's on fire. And what, the, what those shields do, the shields were covered in water. And the moment that, that dart hit that shield, it doubted it. And the moment you and I believe what God has said, that every attack, every lie, every fiery dart of the devil will be immediately quenched. 
It, it, has, it cannot penetrate your heart. It cannot penetrate your life as long as you hold on to and believe what God has said. So that's the first thing we do. We believe what God has said. The second thing is the sword of the Spirit, which means we don't just believe what God has said, we declare what God has said. You don't just believe it with your heart, but you confess it with your mouth. We learn to declare what God has said. This is coming against my life, but God, you have said. You have said, God, that you are for me, nor against me. You have said, Lord, that that you love me with an everlasting love. And you begin to declare what God has said over your life. I think one of the greatest things you can do is when you see a contrary circumstance and you begin to declare the word of God totally opposite to what your circumstances say. And you keep declaring it. You keep saying it. Good thing to do is say, Lord, what promises have you given to me for me to believe with all my heart and to declare with my mouth? So that's warfare, where we believe it and we say it. Now, I know sometimes there can be abuse in that, and people have abused it. But just because people have abused it, it doesn't mean that we misuse it. Amen? So we, I found time and time again, what the enemy does, he always causes people to, 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 to distort something, so we lose the truth of it. And there is truth in believing with your heart and confessing with your mouth. How did Jesus defeat the devil? Everybody about that? He said, it is written. He believed it, and he spoke it, and he cut the enemy up to pieces with the sword of the Spirit. He can say amen. And he finally, Paul says, he says, praying at all times. Just keep your life in a, in, a, in, a, in a place of continual prayer. No piece of armor will work unless we're in a continual, constant place of prayer. And the Bible says, as long as we keep the armor on, and we stand our ground in the victory of Jesus, We will live a continual day-to-day victorious life. Isn't that wonderful? Let's stand right now as we just come before him. Hallelujah. I just want you today, just maybe just put your hand on your heart today and say, Lord, today, give me a revelation of the totality of your victory. See, the devil wants to blind you from the victory of Jesus. He doesn't want you to see the totality of that victory. He wants you to be limited in your view of it. I think today Jesus says that I see, I'm totally victorious. Just stand your ground. You know, maybe you're here today and things, all kinds of things are coming against your life. Contrary circumstances, things are just just coming against your life. And the Lord just simply says to you, stand therefore in the victory I've won for you and the armour of God that I've given for your protection. So what are you going to do? Just enforce the victory that I've already won. Stand therefore. Don't be moved. Don't pull back. Don't give up. Don't pull, pull away. But Stand in the victory that is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours for your taking. Victory for your taking. Don't let the enemy deceive you. Don't let the enemy lie to you. 
But stand your ground, put on the whole armour of God, taking the sword of the Spirit, praying at all times, in all manner, in all circumstances. Lord, we thank you today. Let's declare, Lord, we declare today your victory today. We declare your victory is total. We declare your victory is complete, Lord. There's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we can take away from it. And Lord, today I pray, Lord, we thank you for the promises that, Lord, that you've given to us today. Lord, thank you that even even when we enter a wilderness, Lord, it's so that we can enter into promise. And so, Lord, today I pray right now that, Lord, today that we would that we would believe your promise, and Lord, we would declare your promise, and Lord, that we would continually enforce the victory that Jesus has won on the cross. Lord, we thank you today, Lord, that we don't try and win the victory, we stand in the victory. It's already been won. I pray, give us a revelation of that truth, that Lord, that we may be a victorious people. Lord, living in continual day-to-day victory, that your name will be glorified, your name will be honoured. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delance Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceelam.co.uk.